My name is Milian Mori and welcome to our podcast, Warrior Family. We are a family of successful entrepreneurs, visionaries, hustlers, and leaders. We are compassionate, loving, fearless, and determined. We fight for love, profits, and a better world. And this podcast was made for future leaders, entrepreneurs, world changers, and families all over the world. We gained our wealth by running one of the best network marketing companies in Europe and successfully coaching and speaking empire. Our stories, tips will show you that everything is possible. And this podcast includes all the best sales, marketing, relationship, personal growth, and health advice you can get and interviews with the most successful people in the world. Our motto is, my business is not my family. My family is my business. And we are here to show you how to have it all. Welcome to the new episode, Warrior Family episode. Today, today I have a special guest. Uh, he was my mentor, my coach. Uh, he's senior partner of Mind Valley. He's a co-founder of Mind Valley Italy, co-founder of EverCoach, Epic Businesses and Global Grit Institute. And what is interesting, he grew up in extended family of 23 people under one roof. Welcome, Ajit Nawalka. How are you? I am great. Thank you for inviting me here. I'm you are here in here. Tallinn. I am in Tallinn, yeah. So first, great news first. So yesterday I spoke with your partner. Yeah, my wife. Yeah. Your wife. you married, yeah? yeah? And you are expecting a baby. We are, we are. We are expecting a boy in the next three months. Yeah. So, so how will your life change right now after you get a baby? Well, there is going to be the whole element of parenting yeah, yeah, that is, of yeah. course, going to add as a dimension. But me and my wife, Nita, both are very intentional mm -hmm. as, as human beings. So it's almost where we sit down and we go, okay, what will our life look like? Mm -hmm. And we, we, we aim to kind of live the life that way. So mm -hmm. our life's going to look very similar to how it is right now. We okay. still intend to create the positive wives that we are creating in the world. We still uh, aim to mentor and coach and educate and 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 do consulting and so mm -hmm. forth. We still aim to continue to grow Evercoach and Global Grid Institute, which are our primary companies. We still aim to be able to also raise a wonderful human being with good intentions and uh, good learning strategies and uh, good heart and good, good purpose in, in life. So, so that's, that is our intention to it. And yeah. we are still planning around how will it look like really. Uh, but we don't, we don't feel like we need to compromise anything. We just need to add and mm -hmm. see what more we get to play with. So we're excited about that. That's great. I'm excited too because when I met you last time in uh, Berlin, I think, uh, uh, you were single then. I was. Yeah, yeah. so I'm happy. Okay, so you, have, you will have a first baby and you were born and raised in India. I was, yes. And you, and you lived with 23 other people under one roof. How, how this look like, like <laughs> to live with 23 other people under one roof? Well, like how 23 people in one roof would look like. It was, uh, it was crammed. It was very, there was no abundance of space. There was no, like we didn't have a room or anything like that. I shared my room with my brother. And that room was our playroom, our study room, our uh, guest room, our, all the types of rooms. And uh, it was 23 people because... Uh, in India, there's a concept called a joint family, which is basically not only you, but your cousins and your parents' cousins. Everybody lives in the same house, uh, but usually those houses are bigger. Yeah, Our yeah, house is not that big. Uh, it could not contain 23 people. It was not designed to host 23 people in that house. 
but we, we survived. I mean, that's just, that's just what it was at that time, and that's how I grew up. And it, it taught me a lot in many ways. It taught me a lot about life. It taught me a lot about abundance. It taught me a lot about understanding how to interact with human beings. And it taught me a lot of compassion. So, yeah, it taught me a lot. So it serves its purpose, but it so, was so, painful. Yeah, what, what was that that you... You, you, you have from this period of your life, like, uh, what, from, what, what, from, what did you learn? So one of the key things that I learned in that journey is that, and I, there's no one instance that really led to this learning, but I think just the character that I am because of that is it made me a lot fearless. Uh, because what's the worst that can happen is kind of the question that comes to you very often when you've grown up in a situation like that. Like, what's the worst that can happen? I will go back to living with 23 other people. I mean, that's the wow, worst that that's can powerful. happen. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I survived that. So it's not, a, it's not that I can't do that, right? So my worst is not really, um, is not, doesn't scare me. So I, I'm a lot more uh, fearless in a way. Um, I'm also a lot more careful in how I interact with people because of that. Mm -hmm is because, well, I was interacting with people all the time. It also makes me, I think, and that's what a lot of people say that I am, that I'm a really calm person. Yeah, you are. Uh, that's and, right. You are a very calm person. Yeah, and not only calm when I'm calm, but calm even if there's, everything is going to hell around me, I can still be really calm and nothing really phases me. But that's because, think about it like this, there's 23 people in the same house, there's something going wrong all the time. <laughs> there is no time where something's not going wrong. Something's going wrong. There's a lot of kids in there because we were all children, right? So we were all, we were, I think we were six, eight or nine kids in the house at, at, at a time, right? So eight or nine kids in a house, a small house. It, something has to go wrong. Something's getting hurt. Somebody's getting Screaming. hurt. Somebody's getting slapped. Somebody's doing something. Somebody's beating someone. Yeah, yeah. Something is always happening. And you still had to study, let's say, if you had exams. It didn't matter. Nothing changed in the house. It was still loud. It was still 23 people. So nobody cared that you have an exam. But if you have to study, you have to still be able to study in all that chaos. If you want to build something, you have to build in all that chaos. If you want to talk to someone, you still have to talk in all that chaos. Which just trained me, I think, through my life to just be able to focus even if everything's going to hell. Be able to stay calm if everything is not going as per plan because that's just how I grew up and I had to train myself to be able to do anything useful. And I think that's, that's one of the greatest gifts that I've got out of that is, to, is patience, calm, and being able to work with people irrespective of the situation. Wow, this is something powerful. So, you know, we have many people, my followers, friends from all Instagram accounts that I own, they're coming from, a lot of them, they're coming from Balkan region, which is Serbia, Croatia, Bosnia, Macedonia. And I, I got I get lots of messages every day that how can they be successful mm -hmm. living in this for them poor part of the world, mm -hmm. you know? But you grew up in India, mm -hmm. and now you are the co-owner of many like many world things, yeah. brands. Yeah. You are making millions. Yeah. So how did you go from being like? in some kind of poverty to, to a millionaire. Yeah. So what, what were the limiting beliefs that you had to overcome mm -hmm. because of your childhood? Mm -hmm. So firstly, I think uh, it, I was in poverty. So it yeah. wasn't like kind of poverty, it was, it was poverty, in poverty. Yeah. It was that. Uh, at the same point in time, I think irrespective of the country that you come from. I came from India, you can come from Macedonia, you can come from whatever country you're coming from. There is, a, there is always somebody who's successful in your country. Mm -hmm. 
right? So it's a, it's a flawed belief to just simply think, well, I'm in this poor country, I can't be successful. Mm -hmm. Well, there's somebody successful, mm -hmm. it means you can be as well. So that's the first thing that we must be clear on that it, your country doesn't matter. It might be relative how successful you mm -hmm. are. You might not be as successful as the, the millionaire of the states or a billionaire in the states, but you will still be successful in your reality. You will be making thousands and thousands of dollars and live a really comfortable life in your country. It will be in context of your, of your country. So you have to just understand context in that scenario. Okay. Secondly is if, let's say, you want to become a global success. And one of the things, and it's an easy word to, to throw around, which is mindset is that it is a lot about how do you think about things. Yeah, and if yeah. you think about things in a particular way, they ten, you tend to find answers to those kind of challenges. Like in the starting of this conversation, I, I once mentioned that we, me and my wife, both are very intentional people, mm -hmm. right? And by that, that's just one of the mindsets to look at, is like if you go through life as a reaction to what's happening mm -hmm. to your life, you end up reacting to life, which means you're always like waiting for the punch and then punching back and then waiting for the punch and then punching back. And all you can do is block, right? That's all you're doing. So there is no way you will win if you're just blocking the punches, right? Yep. And that's what life becomes if you're reacting to life. You're, you're a blocker, right? Whereas if you want to live life, you've got to go, okay, where will I punch? How will I punch? And because you're intentional about it, you can actually win this game of life. Right, I'm presenting it as a boxing match. Yeah, that, it, yeah. it doesn't have to be that aggressive, metaphor, yeah. but it's a metaphor, right? It's a metaphorically, you are then going, okay, what's my strategy? If a punch is gonna come, I'm gonna block and then I'm gonna punch like this or I'm gonna block and punch like this. I'm not a boxer, but you get my metaphor. Mm -hmm. And that, that intentionality of saying, hey, come from a place of creation, come from a place of intention is how you start to create a new version of your life all the time. Since I was, um, not very young, actually. I learned this later. So, so sometimes people think, oh, you must have started working when you were 12 or 13. I didn't. I started working when I was 16, 18, more like 18. I started doing part-time job. It was a part-time typist job. I was typing uh, for somebody. Um, and then event management for somebody, kind of like that. So part-time jobs. But what I, was, uh, what I had learned through mentors and trainers and coaches, which is what people don't tend to get a lot of, but that's where I made my investments early on. That's where I listened to people a lot more. Like I would be, let's say, how you have this, uh, this interview, I would listen to what you're saying. And I would go, okay, what is this person saying? What does he really mean? So let's say if you give me a tool. So I'm going to give a tool right now on your thing that I do. And I still do till date, which has changed my life and also helping me set intentions really well, right? Is I would almost on a weekly basis mm -hmm. write my goals. Right. And they don't change very much. They stay kind of same, but over a period of time, they change dramatically, of course. Right. Mm -hmm. But I would write my goals. Right. And I would write my goals and I would look at them again and again. Right. Now, what happens when you're looking at your goals and I would draw a map. So it's not only like, OK, I want to make a million dollars. I will then write how will I tackle that. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, OK, I want to make a million dollars and I will do this, this, this for doing that. Right. These are, and it doesn't have to, it's not action steps I can do today, yeah, 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 but yeah. these are like more like strategies. It's okay. like, okay, what's my strategy for making a million dollars? Oh, I'll start a company that will be in partnership with this company, and this is how I'll make my money. Or I'll start this new company because I know about this opportunity. Or I'll get this job because mm -hmm. when early on, it was not about making a million dollars, it was making $10,000, okay. right? That's what yeah. I wanted to make yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, how do I make $10,000? This is how I'll make a $10,000 because I'll do these, these, these jobs. And it was sometimes about working hard. And it was like, okay, that's how I'll do it. And as I progress in life, I started to get these learnings from different people. Mm -hmm. And I would go, oh, okay, so how you become really wealthy has nothing to do with how many hours you work, 
right? And so it's like, oh, I learned that. And then I started making a map around that. So the tool that is, is basically write down your goals and then write down how you will tackle them. Mm -hmm. How are you going to tackle your goals? When you write down how you will tackle your goal, what happens is your brain starts to go on fire and starts to manifest it faster somehow. Or if not, it's the, if not, it's the manifestation, it's just the, just the energy that you put out to saying, hey, I want this goal and I know how to get it, puts more, because it's clarity, because now you know how you're gonna get your goal, right? It creates so much intensity. It creates so much intensity. Clarity has power, insane amount of power, right? So the simple, like the simple tool that helped me a lot and I think it'll help your viewers a lot is just write your goals, write down how you will tackle them, just that clarity of knowing what your goals are, the clarity of knowing how you will tackle it, even if it'll change, because it will, what will happen is it'll give you so much momentum in life that you will tend to achieve your goals. Even if you put a 10-year goal out, I am very certain that you will hit so it in five years. So how far in advance you were like thinking when you were writing your well, goals? Well, when I started, it was about life goals. So mm -hmm. it was like, in like, life, like, if okay. I get this, I'll mm -hmm. be very grateful type of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and they were not that big, honestly. Like, if you compare now, they were yeah, nothing. Yeah, they were like, not like, like close to what you achieve now. Oh yeah, absolutely like, not. Absolutely not. 100 I, yeah. times probably. Yeah, yeah. Like my, my life goal used to be, and I remember this so explicitly because it was the, one of the biggest things for me, so think about it, I come from a house of 23 people, right? Which means we have shared, like my parents were still living there when I first ventured out in the world as getting my first job and starting my first business, we were still living in that house, right? So my life goal, which is I meant that if I would be 50, 60 and I can do this, I'll be grateful, I can do it, was to buy a house for my parents. Hmm. That was my life goal. I was like, if I can buy one day a great house for my parents, I'll be super grateful. Like that's what I would like to really, really achieve. I did that when I was 28. Wow. That's five, six years ago now, right? Six years ago now, yeah. right? I was 28 and I had bought that house for them, right? But I had write it, started writing to buy that house when I was like 23, wow. right? And I thought I would take my entire lifetime to get there, wow. but I got there in five years wow. from then, right? And that's what happens by writing and writing down how you will tackle it, is that you end up saying, this will be 10 year goal for me. I still write 10 year goals. I go, in 10 years, here's mm -hmm. what I would like mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. And people sometimes go, why 10 years? I'm like, because I know if I write it 10 years from now, I will not be anxious about it. I won't be scared with the goal. I'll be more like, how do I tackle this? How do I, I'll mm -hmm. stay in a place of creation instead mm -hmm. of create in, in a state of anxiety, mm -hmm. which is what happens mm -hmm. if you write a year-long mm -hmm. goal. It gives you anxiety. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to make a million Pressure. dollars a year. Now you're like, oh, <laughs> what do I do? Right? This, this is not a place of creation. It's yeah. a creation of reaction. Yeah. Right? So I go, okay, now I want to write it in 10 years. This is where I would like to be in 10 years from now. What I found, though, is most of the time what I write for 10 years from now gets done in five years. Wow. But that's great. It's, it's bonus time, right? Uh -huh. It's bonus time. It's all great. So I, I, but by the time I reach there, of course, I've written my next 10 years, right? So it's never really ending because there is no version of you that should be satisfied with your current version because there's always a better mm -hmm. version yeah. of you yeah. that you are going to create and are not able to create. So that's kind of what I would say is, is something is that we should look at. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Uh, let's go back to the, to the, to the room that you, you slept in. Uh -huh. you know, what, were the, what were some limiting beliefs that you carry through your life because of... Um, I don't know the, how many of them I still carry. So and, there could yeah, be that, like, there might my be subconscious. second question, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know about my subconscious beliefs, but Still, definitely yes. what I could consciously yeah. uh, analyze and could get rid of or could work through, and I think I've gotten past them, uh, definitely was something that I'm not smart. 
which was the first okay. one, because I wasn't like an A-grade student. Mm -hmm. uh, I, second was I was not loved, uh, because I had an elder brother. Mm -hmm. uh, I still have an elder brother, whatever mm -hmm. <laughs> that I had. Mm -hmm. I have an elder brother. And when there are two brothers, there's always that thing, right? right? Mm -hmm. Because you always feel like your parents love the other one, right? I'm sure he felt the same way. I yeah, definitely yeah, felt yeah, that yeah. way, that my parents love my brother a lot yeah, more yeah. than I did. Then they love me, and so I. He probably I, felt the same. <laughs> he probably felt the same way. So it's not like I'm not saying that that was the case, yeah. uh, but that's that's what I grew up thinking that I'm yeah. not loved. And not thirdly, smart, not loved. And then thirdly, I wasn't beautiful, or I will be successful. So all of those three, four beliefs that I definitely had. Uh, the the concept of I'm not beautiful came because when you don't feel loved, mm -hmm. you tend to find love in other places. I found it in food. Mm -hmm. uh, which made me eat a lot because of which I became overweight and so I felt like I'm not really like a beautiful person or a gorgeous person or a person to look at mm -hmm. which didn't serve me a lot in life generally and then lastly was I won't be successful and that mostly came from because my my parents, my, my father is uh, an entrepreneur as well, mm -hmm. he was a jeweler mm -hmm. um, and he wasn't successful and I thought he was and he st I still feel that he's one of the most brilliant intelligent people that I know uh, on on in my life, mm -hmm. but he just couldn't make business work, which meant that I wouldn't be able to make business work, which of course is not mm -hmm. true. It, he has his own flaws, which because which his business didn't go as as wonderfully as it could have gone. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was something that I had to work through. Yeah. yeah. But but again, like I don't know if there's any. There, there must be more subconscious probably, stuff. Yeah. We have to ask. Yeah, Marissa. yeah. This is a life. This is a life thing, right? You yeah. you yeah. even with Marissa, yes. like you can sit down with Marissa and then you can work through what is identified. There's something still left. Like I, I, I found out that same lim limiting belief that I had 20 years ago, yeah. I still have today, yeah. but on a different level. Yeah, you know, like or that happens. I'm yeah. not smart enough or I'm not good enough. I, I had this limiting belief when I was 20. Yeah. I worked my way up to here yeah. and now I have to grow into the international speaking market and I have the same belief, you know. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's always, but it's on a different level, I think. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That is very true, actually. That is very true that you have sometimes have the same belief that just comes up and yeah. sometimes you have a solution for it, sometimes you work through it, sometimes you have a replaced belief. Yeah. Like, for example, for me, what happened later on, and it's the case right now, is that I started valuing success very differently. Mm -hmm. Like, so I, do don't, do I don't measure success by money anymore. Mm -hmm. I measure success by do I get to do what I want to do, mm. right? So it, it changed the dialogue of what success means mm -hmm. to me because I made a lot of money really young, right? And because of whatever happened in life, or a lot of money for me in, that, in the context of where I came from. So for me, all of a sudden I realized that having all this money doesn't really make me like outrageously happy or anything, like it doesn't make me fulfilled. It doesn't really give that feeling to me. And I know a lot of people go, well, all successful people tend to say that, yeah, yeah. but you have to become successful to realize that yeah. it's true they're not making this up. Mm -hmm. It is very, very true that when you make a lot of money, mm -hmm it does give you that realization of why money is not that important. Mm -hmm. It's important, it's absolutely, absolutely yeah, I love yeah. money, but it doesn't mean that you should sacrifice everything for it or not really enjoy it. Like mm -hmm. a lot of people make a lot of money and then they don't enjoy it. Like they just suck at even paying a bill, mm -hmm. right? Or look at like still live in a way that's not very abundant. And that's not fair, that's just not good. That, I just don't think that's a good philosophy to life. Uh, and that's just, so what yeah. is the definition of success right now for you? For me, success is more about being able to do what I want to do. So I, I'm only looking at areas where I go, okay, for example, I'm becoming a parent. Yeah. Do I get to spend enough hours with my kid every day? 
-hmm. right? That is what means success to me. If my business is structured in a way which makes me a lot of money but also takes all the day, for me, it's not successful, okay. right? So I, I'm, I'm very careful of buying into the idea of what makes me another million versus what makes me happy mm -hmm. or what makes me fulfilled or what gives me that joy that, I'm, mm -hmm. that I always want to be in a place of. Um, and that's, that's really what defines mm -hmm. my actions at this point. We will come back to the concept of building the business that, <coughs> that, that can make you free of you know, everyday work. But uh, do you remember the moment when you told to your parents mm. you are buying the house for them? I do. I do, I do remember that moment. And um, it started with me saying, I have extra cash laying around, so I want to invest in property. So I never said this is a house that I'm buying first or it's buying, I'm buying, them, buying it for them. Right? I started with saying, I have this cash lying around. And I was already out of the country at that point. I was working in a different country, mm -hmm. Malaysia. Mm -hmm at that point. And so I was like, I, I have this extra cash, I want to put it into a, a property, it's a pure investment play. Uh, find me some properties that you think is a good location mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you would think is going to also be comfortable for a family of three, right? So, uh, sorry, family of five, yeah. right? So I was like, uh, family of five. So I was like, can you find that for me? Because I wanted them to find the house they would like. You know what I mean? Wow. Right, so I was like, okay, find that for me because I was not they there. They didn't know that they are looking for yeah, themselves. Yeah, they, they had no idea that they were looking for a house for themselves. Right, so they go in there and they're looking for properties and they're like, all right, we found this property. This is like a four bedroom house. It's in this really nice area. It's a new building that's coming up. I'm like, that sounds great. I'm coming down in a particular month. It was still in the construction at that time. And I was like, okay, it looks good, looks good, looks good. I was like, all right, let's, uh, let's lock this property in, right? And then I go and I make the payment in one go. And then I, when they were signing the papers, the papers were still signed on my name, but when they were handing me kind of the keys, like, you know, paper, because it's still, it's the, because coming from my account, you know, all that type of stuff. But anyways, as they were handing me the keys, I, I slid the keys right next to my mom because my mom was there uh, when we signed the papers. And they're like, yeah, 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 we are going. So they didn't still get it. Like they didn't get it till the time we actually went to the house right after that with the keys and they opened the door. And then I said, this is your house. And that's when it sank into them that this is actually their, like this is their house where I want them to move. Because until then they were just thinking they will go back to the old house where everybody was living together, right? Uh, but then they realized and then I was like, no, we're moving here in two months because still, you know, the last bits were happening and the paints need to be redone because we wanted our own colors and so forth. But two months later, I wasn't in town anymore. But my mom tells me that my dad has tears in his eyes when they actually moved in. Uh, so that was beautiful. That was really, really Great, nice yeah. to hear that and see the expression on their face and just so the nice. joy of them having it. And they're really happy with the new house. They still say this is one of the best gifts they ever got. So They bought the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's <laughs> they, awesome. They, they yeah. picked the house for themselves. Yeah. That's great. So what was the best decision that you made in your life? Like you moved from, you moved from uh, India to Malaysia first. Yeah. In India, you were vice president of uh, ISEC. I was, I yeah. was. Yeah. One second, I'll take yeah. some water. Yeah. Um, it will be really hard to say what was the one best decision, mm -hmm. because I think my life was blessed with a lot of great decisions that happened mm -hmm. uh, and they compounded to each other. Like I would say the one of the first brave decisions that I take 
that I took mm -hmm. was me quitting uh, engineering. Mm -hmm. Right, so I was I was getting trained to apply to engineering colleges. I was studying for it, mm -hmm. and as I was studying for it, I realized that if this is what my life is going to look like for the next whatever time of my life, I don't enjoy it. I'm not going to have fun, so I shouldn't do it. Right, mm -hmm. because I, I I love computers, and that's mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. Theoretically, I wanted to be a coder. Mm -hmm. Is what I would have loved to do. But to be that, you had to do this all these other things, and I was like, that's not going to happen. That's mm -hmm. just not me. I'm going to hate every second of it. It's not gonna be good. So that was my first brave decision to say, mm -hmm. because in India, if you if you know how India is set up, it's like you are an engineer, you're a doctor, you're an accountant, lawyer. or you're useless. <laughs> or, uh, or lawyer. Or lawyer. <laughs> Lawyers also not that much. You, it's doctors, uh -huh. engineers, uh, accountants, okay. or useless. Yeah, or basically. Useless. Even lawyer is not really like considered a very good, okay. not, not as, because it's about who makes most money, right? So okay. doctors are respected, engineers are respected, and accountants are respected, okay. and nobody else is. Uh, businessmen are not respected, not until recently. So at that point, it was like, okay, so that basically I was quitting on one of the only professions <laughs> that I was on track to where I would be useful, and now I was useless. So that was the first big decision mm -hmm. which I had to take, and I had to step out, and I had to, I had to tell my parents mm -hmm. about it. Um, but then it was many other that followed it. Then after that, quitting that, then joining this organization called ISAC, mm -hmm. uh, because it's a student organization, very different from the rest of the city that I grew up in. Plus, it was it's expensive to be a part of that organization, mm -hmm. and you don't pay anything to the organization, but just being a part of it because you have to travel a lot and this mm -hmm. and that, it's expensive. Which is why I had to do part-time jobs to be able to fund my travels mm -hmm. like a crazy person everywhere, mm -hmm. right? So that's that was a big decision to be able to do that and consistently invest in that. Then it was a big decision to quit a very good job in uh, in India that I had at mm -hmm. that point. I was like I was the, one of the leading salespeople of a very big media house in India. Mm -hmm. And I, I was on a fast, very good track to be very, very successful in that organization. Mm -hmm. But I just said, nope, this is not where I want to be. So quitting that, moving as an intern to Mind Valley, uh, because that's where I went yeah, to Malaysia. Yeah. I came to uh, the company as, a, as an intern. I How did you find out about Mind Valley? So when I was in this organization in India, I had hired one person as an intern on my team. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I was doing digital stuff at that time. Mm -hmm. I had gotten some investment from this media house to start a different company. I was leading that uh, that company, and I had hired an intern to work under me. This intern went to work for ISEC in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. And when I quit this bit of saying I don't want to be on this sales track and mm -hmm. I don't want to do this more, I, I told everybody who were my friends, hey, I want to learn more about digital marketing. I want to learn more about what's this Facebook thing. At that time, Facebook was new. Facebook wasn't like a big thing. Yeah, it yeah. was becoming a big thing, but wasn't really. Uh, so what is this Facebook thing? What is this Google search, SEO? Because that was the popular terms at that time. Uh, and I was like, I want to learn all of this stuff. And so this guy said, hey, there's this little company. Because at that time, my Mali was 20 people. Like, that's it. Small, tiny company. Work, it was out of a house we used to work from a house. Mm -hmm. uh, so he said, this is a little company, but it, it is definitely some people who are doing really good jobs in the area of internet and, and online marketing. And the person who owns the company is an ex-Isaacer. So he mm -hmm. used to work for Isaac in the States, which is Vision. Mm -hmm. yeah, Vision. Right? So he used to work for that, and he was like, you got to check this company out. It will be great, I think, for you to at least do an internship in. I apply, I got through, and then I became an intern in Mind Valley. Then after a year and a half, which was another brave decision I took. So that's why I'm saying there's yeah, many. Yeah. So I, many. I, yeah, I, yeah. I also want to... And the reason why I'm telling all these decisions is because it's important to know that it's not going to be only one decision. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's that one decision that does everything it does, and you have to constantly make 
decisions that add value to mm -hmm. your life or to the life of people around you. And mm -hmm. that's how you go from wherever you are to wherever you want mm -hmm. to be, mm -hmm. at least in my opinion. So that's why I'm giving you all these examples because then it was a decision to leave Mindvalley because I left Mindvalley for a year and a half, started two companies on the side, sold them back to Mindvalley. And it was, it was critical if you understood, and this will take a long time to really tell the full story, but if you understand that me quitting and coming back was accidentally the best thing a person could have done at that time because I went, as, went away as somebody who was okay, but I came back as somebody who was really, really powerful mm -hmm. because I came back as an entrepreneur. I left mm -hmm. as an employee. I came back as an entrepreneur because now I had sold two companies to Mindvalley. Mm -hmm. You know, that type of thing. And then again, moving all the way to CEO, starting Evercoach and quitting Mindvalley to do Evercoach and all this stuff. Again, these are all, all brave decisions. It compounds to create success. Wow. Let's go back to the decision that you quit engineering yeah. and you tell this to your parents and you, you tell to your parents that you're quitting this job and you're moving from the country. What was yeah. the reaction? So I've been very fortunate that my father's very understanding or at least if not very understanding, he's very trusting. Mm -hmm. So what my father told me very early on in, in before even I started my career was he said, Ajit, I can fund your education, but that's pretty much what I can fund. I can't fund your career, I can't fund your, your desire to start business, I can't fund any of that. I will do everything I can to fund your education, right? But after that, you are kind of on your own, right? Because I don't have the money to be able to do any of that stuff, right? But he was always there. If I would make a decision, he would, his only question would be, do you think it can work? Have you weighed all your options? You know, like he would, mm -hmm. he would like give some very simple suggested okay. thoughts to think about, mm -hmm. but then he would just trust me to do what he wants me to do. My mother, on the other hand, <laughs> would slap the <laughs> shit out of me. Uh, so, so my mom wasn't as kind as my dad. Yeah, she yeah. always was like, "You're so like, you, you, what the hell are you doing? Like, you know, why are you quitting engineering? Everybody wants to be an engineer. You have a chance at it. Why the heck are you doing this stupid thing?" And then once I did that, she, when I was quitting the the, the job in India, she was the same. You're like. Yeah. Who quits that? Like you're, you're like, it's like, it's perfect. You actually, you know, the owners, the owners know you, they actually look forward to, you know, yeah, like working with you and you're life. good, you're, you're set for life. Just stay with what you're doing and you will be fine. Right. Let's get you married. You know, yeah, like yeah. that type of stuff. <laughs> I was like, no. And so my mom until recently never really understood what the heck I was doing. Like even when I quit Valley and went back to India for those one and a half years, she couldn't understand it. She just couldn't understand it. She's like, why the heck would you leave a perfectly good career as you are trying to like, it's like if you don't stick to something, it's not gonna work. Um, and so that's, my mom never understood, but my dad was very supportive. He was always like, okay, we can, we can try that. That's crazy. Yeah. My father kicked me out of the house when I told him I'm quitting my job as a police officer and then later at the high court in Ljubljana. <laughs> he said, yeah, you are out. Yeah. So, uh, personal development, when, when did you start with personal development? When did you get interested? So, I, I mean, properly, properly mm -hmm. in the sense of where I have like a learning path in mm -hmm. personal development pretty much at this point, uh, was about 10 years ago mm -hmm. when I joined Mindvalley. Mm -hmm. So, Mindvalley is a big contributor for me actually being very exposed to personal mm -hmm. development. Mm -hmm. Before that, it was more mentors and teachers. So I would always seek advice. That's something that I learned from my mm -hmm. father early on because he's a very, uh, very smart guy, like in many ways. Like, and my grandfather was almost like a coach to the community. Mm -hmm. So he would be one of those guys where people would come 
uh, if they had problems in the in the in the family, and they would come to him to solve those problems. So my grandfather was a very intellectual man, um, and a very smart, educated man. He would tell stories to solve problems, pretty much, right? He mm -hmm. would tell different stories and say, "This is what happened. This is what do you think?" And then he would get people to solve problems like that. He would great negotiator, mm -hmm. right? So I had seen that in the house all the time. Right, stories that just inspire or give learnings were always in my house, so I, I grew up with them. Uh, and my father also being very much uh, a student of Osho and, mm. and, and all of that was also really helpful because again, he's also kind of like a philosopher, so he would read a lot of poetry, a lot of books, a lot of magazines, and, and so there was, it was that uh, environment was there, okay. resources were not. So it was as much as he was reading, he was reading books that we couldn't read because let's say Osho's theory, you can't really read as a kid, you won't understand it, you won't get it, and it's sometimes not even appropriate for you to read because it could be a little too forward thinking. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so that's, that's what my environment always was. In ISEC, I had the great fortune of having a lot of leaders who were mentors of mine, uh, very grateful for that. But proper learning, mind Dali. 10 years ago. Change, you know, you, you, you made so many changes. Why is changing so hard for some people? Uh, like because... Change, change, make a decision to change the yeah. career, make a decision to start a business. It depends on how you look at change. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I can't say for other people, I look at change as a way to progress. Mm -hmm. I don't see change as a discomfort. Mm -hmm. I see change as if you want to progress, you need to make a change, mm -hmm. right? If there is growth, it comes after change, mm -hmm. right? And because of that, I, I, I've never really felt conflicted about, oh, should I change this or not? I feel more like, is it the right change or not? Mm -hmm. Like it needs mm -hmm. to change. So mm -hmm. change is not the problem. The problem is, is this the right thing mm -hmm. to do? Mm -hmm. uh, and is this the right decision, more smart decision and so forth? So that's kind of, I think, uh, at least from my perspective, change Change is a good thing. Change is not a bad I thing. Like change it. is progress. Ch change is progress. I like that. That is going to be the quote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, let's jump to the coaching business. You know, Ever Coach, one of the biggest educational platforms for people that want to become coaches or the best coaches in the world. How can somebody start with a coaching? business coaching practice fast you know there are so many people out there they have skills they have certificates some of them they have these certificates about nlp and so on mm -hmm. but many coaches are broke you know if you if you look at the at the average of uh, average income of uh, coaches in the world it's not so high mm -hmm. so yeah it is true um, so and that, that happens because of two reasons. One is because the industry is still evolving. So there is a lot of opportunity that people don't take. That's why they are broke. It's if you really think about it, go to a company anywhere in the world at this point, and not, not any company, but at least the bigger organizations. If you'll go and ask them, do they need a coach? They most likely will say yes. Yeah. The internal coaches they're hiring all the time, the external coaches that they're hiring all the time, leadership uh, people need coaches, and they, they value it. It's, all, it's as valuable as how, at, at a point training classes used to be, they see it as much valuable to, to have a coach. But coaches are still broke because they don't realize that there's an opportunity. So that's the first problem, mm -hmm. is that coaches don't realize that the opportunity is not them always having to call one person at a time. There are organizations looking for opportunity every single day okay. that they need a coach for, mm -hmm. right? Secondly, is what happens is the understanding of coaching business is a little bit flawed. If you'll go look out, you'll see either people talk about certificates, 
uh, okay, let me get an NLP certificate or whatever. Yeah. Or people talk about what's the new gimmick or the new marketing tactic to follow, right? Mm -hmm. Both of those scenarios will get you broke, right? Because a business is never one thing. A business is a business. Business has a product and business, and by product I mean product or service, mm -hmm. and a business has a marketing engine, right? Mm -hmm. But business also has you always. Any business's success is very heavily dependent on the person who's doing the business, mm -hmm. right? So that's why we wrote the book of coaching, by the yeah, way, yeah. because we knew that this, this dialogue, mm -hmm. yeah, with Nita, mm -hmm. uh, the dialogue of coaches being broke is inspired by coaches not being correctly educated. They think that it's a, it's a tactic that will make them successful, and that's not the case, mm -hmm. right? You will become successful because how business is done, when you do business that way, will be successful. It's not a hard business at all. Like coaching is a really easy business mm -hmm. because you don't even need a lot of clients, right? Uh, if you really think about business. So let me give a little brief okay. breakdown yeah. so yeah. that will give yeah. people, and I don't like uh, giving tactics in coaching. And the reason, the only reason for that is because every business is different. It's like me saying, um, copy Canon and you can create the next best camera. You won't, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way, right? It's not a copy, it's, it's unique to itself. Canon is different to Sony, is different to Nikon, right? They have to do their own thing even if they're all making a camera, yeah. right? And that needs to happen, right? So here are the three elements that one needs to take care of in context of coaching. First, you need to work on yourself mm -hmm. constantly. It doesn't stop. The deeper you go with yourself, the better you become as a person, the better will be your business. So you stop, your business stops. No, no questions asked. That's how any business works. Any leader, any CEO, any founder always grows is why their business grows. It's not because they are the same, the same, the same. They become better humans is why their business is growing. Right? So first, you need to work on yourself. Second is your methodology. How do you actually create change? This is your product, mm -hmm. right? Your product or your service is your coaching methodology, mm -hmm. is how do you actually create change in somebody else's life? If you just do an NLP certification, you won't be able to create change in somebody's life because it's an NLP certification. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. You have to create many different variables that inspire that change, right? And more better you get in your methodology, again, you can start with an NLP certification, but then go do ICF certification, then go learn from other learn coaches. Yeah, yeah, go to different co coaches, learn from their styles, mm -hmm. go to different seminars, learn from that, and create your own unique product out of that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. <coughs> learn from different sources, create your unique product, and that's building your methodology. And you need that for sure, and it needs to be consistent after that once you've built it, right? So that's the second thing. Again, coaches don't really focus on. They just do a certification and say, this is what it is. Well, then you're like everybody else. You're a copy, which means there's a very interesting. I was talking to another entrepreneur recently, and I was like, and we were talking about copy versus not copy, right? And, and they said, well, people think business, you just copy somebody. I was like, okay, who's your favorite actor? They said Robert Downey Jr. I'm like, all right, would you like to have another Robert Downey Jr. in the, in the, in the industry? The answer is no. If you have another Robert Downey Jr., it's like, why would I hire that guy? I will just hire Robert Downey Jr., right? What would the other guy do? He'll be the body double, right? Yeah. The body double nobody knows, nobody cares, nobody gives a shit about, but Robert Downey Jr., everybody cares about because that's original product. That's what you mean by methodology. You can learn NLP, but make it your original idea. Learn other practices and create your original idea. That's a methodology, right? Don't just become a copy of something because then you are only a body double you're not going to be the star, okay. right? And third is your business, which is business education, but not, again, copying anyone, finding what's the system that works for you. Most coaches don't need to create a complex ecosystem. They don't, you don't need a complex ecosystem. You need a simple ecosystem. Mm -hmm. You need a very simple way to have people 
know about you. It could be a paper, it could be a webinar, it could be a Facebook post, it could be anything. Mm -hmm. But basically people to know about you and then have a conversation with them. Coaching is so easy to sell because you can just go to someone and say, hey, let's talk about this, mm -hmm. right? If the person gets inspired, gets a transformation, they want to sign. They want to sign with you, mm -hmm. right? They're not going to not sign with you. If they've got a change with you, of course they want to sign with you, right? And that's your coaching conversation. You've got a client that way, right? It, yeah. that's, that's as simple as that to get started with. Now, there will be a point where you want to have a greater impact and a larger impact. And when that happens, then you will look at more complex marketing engines. But it's all about three steps. Get a lead, talk to the lead, close the lead. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's all three things that you need to care about. Uh, work on yourself, work on your methodology, and build an ecosystem that works, a business ecosystem that works. You mentioned the ecosystem. Can you talk about ecosystem, like the, the product development uh, ladder, how you call it? So well, you don't what, have to complicate it to yeah. that degree. I, I know it, it, so it depends can, can on the you, stage of business. Can you on the ever coach model, maybe? So, so let me take one step back and think about the stages of business, right? There's a stage of business to do certain things. Uh, also, there's an age of business, which means there is a, a certain time in the business cycle that a certain thing will work and certain thing won't work. And you have to be careful of the age of the business because if you do too early or too late, it doesn't work again. Right, so there's an age of business, and the stage of business basically means what's the different, uh, it, what's the different uh, uh, stages of a business. Is it a mature business, a young business, a new business, old business, that type of thing? Right. So uh, what happens is when it's a new business, your age is not too much, and neither is your stage. You're a no-wise age, uh, and a no-wise stage. Right, you're a kid right now. Right. So you want to keep it as simple as as it is. Right. What does a what does a kid do? Like a toddler. It uh, poos, uh, pees, and eats, right? That's all it does, sleep. right? And sleep, right? Yeah. The four things that it does. Why? Because it keeps it simple. It doesn't have to figure out how to put together a camera, right? It just needs these four steps, right? And that's what you do when you are a new coach. You act like a toddler, right? A toddler just does four things. You do four things, whatever those four things are for your business, right? So that's where your ecosystem's not complicated. But when you become an adult, what do we do in a day? We work out, we eat, we go meet people, we build a business, we, uh, we look at social media, Facebook, Instagram, everything, right? So that's when is the stage for you to actually go, oh, what's my complex ecosystem looking like if I want to make it that complex, right? So then you're looking at different pyramids of products and suites and subscription programs and this and that. And that would come more from what's the output you're creating for your client, right? It's always about what's the result that the client wants because that's what they buy. They buy the community and they buy the outcome that they want to go for, right? So for the outcomes, it's mostly about what is your intentionality in creating the, creating the outcome or the output for the client and what do you want the clients to really remember you for or expect the result from you. For Evercoach, we focus on methodology and business and that's it. And we don't work on, on you working on yourself. We have posts about it, but we don't have products around it. Those products we, we channel through Mindvalley, right? Mindvalley.com, right? So we say you want to work on yourself, go to Mindvalley.com. You want to build your methodology, you come to Evercoach.com. You want to build your business, you come to Evercoach.com, right? In both the scenarios, what we would do is there's a tier. Tier one for anybody to get started is to read the book of coaching. We make it like the Bible. You go, you read that book because that will get you first your mind right, right? So you're not thinking about two million different things. You know this is how business works and you know the three principles, right? I'm not saying this is not an ABC guide. It's more a principles guide. These are the principles. 
you follow the principles and now you figure out your ABC and your step-by-step, -step, right? So that's the first thing that you, we want you to do is to read the book of coaching. The second thing is to either study on your methodology or on your business. And we have programs for that. Programs that you can do on your own pace, programs that there is set start days and end days, and you do that, right? Then if you want to talk about a higher tier than that, then what happens is when you are ready, when you are ready to make an investment in yourself and your business, you come to us and we have an online accelerator. An online accelerator is like a Y combinator for coaches. It's a place where you come for about 20 weeks and you learn how to be, uh, how to really accelerate your business really, really quickly, right? On parallel to that, let's say you don't want to do an accelerator because either you are beyond that or you're not ready for it yet. You go and you join something that we call the master circle. This is your perpetual learning platform. Right? You've done all the programs, you know all the strategies, but you always need to learn, right? And I said you always need to grow, your business needs to grow, your methodology needs to grow, and this is where we bring in best coaches in the world and we say, hey, share with us your best technique, right? And then we position that here in Master Circle. Then above that is there are two different programs. One is called Mind Valley Certified Trainer, which is basically... Something just get new Say what? This is something new. This is new, yeah. yeah. Mind Valley Certified Trainer, we did the first batch last year. This is where you get to uh, get certified as a trainer uh, through Mind Valley methodology. So it's a methodology-based program where you learn the methodology. And second is the one that we're doing first time this year. It happens in um, September, early September. It's called Mind Valley Train the Trainer, uh, which is basically us sharing how we use psychology and human behavior to really train people to get really good results. So how why our programs get better results than most of the programs, who are the, how to really think about transformation, what to really do to create a transformation, and also what do we do in business. Some of the deeper branding, advanced stuff, like more, much more advanced stuff, branding, sales strategies, traffic strategies, and so forth. That's what we cover in the four-day event. So these are the two, two different events that we are now created recently that we are uh, starting to do. One we did last year, a small batch of 30. This is one, Mind Valley Train the Trainer. This year we are doing a batch of about 70. So, that's, so that's the certification is for who and the train? Certification is for people who want to be, uh, who want to represent Mind Valley in a way, mm -hmm. who are coaches or mm -hmm. want to learn a methodology to coach or train. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what it is. So that's what mm -hmm. Mind Valley Certified okay. Trainer is. Okay. Mind Valley Train the Trainer is for people who already have some type of business. They already mm -hmm. are trainers and they want to create better results for their mm -hmm. clients mm -hmm. and also be able to grow their business. Mm -hmm. Great. One-on-one uh, -on -one coaching against group coaching to avoid the burnout. Yeah. You know, many, many coaches are burning themselves out because they coach one-on-one -on -one and they charge per hour. So that's the so, worst thing to do, yeah, right? Charge and that's, per that's, hour. That's, that's yeah. why you have to think about... I have many coaches that. asking me, how much should I charge per hour? Yeah, yeah, never should charge per hour. So what uh, is your... Yeah, what you want to think about on. is like the third element, which was the business element. That's where we talk about all that stuff is, is you never... It's not that you never want to charge per hour, but coaching is, so there's the needs and the wants, right? You either need something in life or you want something in life. Coaching is not a need. Therapy is a need. Coaching is a want, right? So if you really understand the distinction, you need to drink water else you will die. You want to drink wine because nothing happens if you don't drink wine, yes. right? That's the difference. So coaching is wine, it's not water. Therapy is water. You don't want to be a therapist. Therapists can charge by hour. Why? Because, well, you still need therapy, right? So they can charge as much they want, as little as they want, right? Or as much they want, whatever the thing is, right? But wine is better when it's expensive. Wine is better when it's aged. Wine is better when you really want the wine, right? So that means 
when you are positioning yourself as a coach, you never want to price yourself as water because you're not water, you're wine. Right? And if you position yourself as water, what's going to happen? People are going to drink you like water, which means you'll be empty really fast. Yeah. Right? So that's not, that's not going to help you at all. Right? Plus, you will be in a situation of a water instead of being of a wine. So the point really is that you want to think about your coaching business as something that is a wanted thing, which means it's harder to sell. Only a few people want it because only a few people can afford it. And so whenever you sell it, you want to sell the whole bottle. You never sell a glass of wine. You sell the bottle of wine, right? Or, or the glass of wine is always the cheapest wine. You don't want to do that, right? You want to sell the whole bottle, which means you package your service mm -hmm. as, a, as a package. And you go, hey, this is the bottle of wine that we're going to go, or this is the package of coaching that we're going to do, and that is the outcome that you want, right? You want to get drunk, but you want to still not have a hangover tomorrow, have this, this wine, and this is the price point of it. Same way. You want to be really successful or be more productive in the next three months? Here is my package. Right? It's not one coaching session that will do that. It's three, four, six, eight, ten, twenty coaching sessions that will do that. Now here's what happens. When you put yourself at a place of twenty sessions, let's say, packed together, you don't price yourself by saying, uh, I would like to make hundred dollars an hour, twenty hours is two thousand dollars. No, that's not how it goes. It's more goes more like this. What is the outcome that the person want and what's the price point for them? Or what's the what does it mean financially for them? So let's say, for example, if somebody you're coaching, let's say I'm coaching you, and what I tell you will help you make a million dollars, let's say, right? My price point for you is not depending on how many hours I helped you get to a million dollars. My price point depends on if you are going to add a million dollars to your top line or bottom line, my, I should be charging, say, about 10% of that, right? I don't have to explicitly say it's going to be 10% of that because you can't give a guarantee. There are too many factors, but then my price is 100 grand, right? So you're not charging by the hour, you're charging by the outcome. Right? Because if you charge by the hour, it's, it's, you're, you're not in that, you're in an intellectual business in a way. Right? And an intellectual business is never about the hours, it's about the outcome. So you are talking also about business coaching. What about life coaching? Everything. It's everything. Everything. Say. I mean, life coaching is even easier to sell. I know it sounds harder to sell, yeah. but it's actually easier to sell, is because in life coaching, you are helping them through some of the most harder things in life. Mm -hmm. Find a partner. It's much harder than growing a business. It's, worth it's harder more than to associate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> worth more than a million, right? Yeah. It's hard to associate that value. With money. Is why we find it hard to actually charge for charge. it. Yeah. But what is true is is that the person who's actually really wanting it probably needs to probably values it as much as those, that much money, right? It's just hard to hard to write it. That's the only positioning challenge that you have, which is why most of the time when you're doing life coaching. You, you end up, and this is what I've seen coaches do mm -hmm. all the time, instead of going and becoming a life coach and helping people live an elevated life, they become a therapist. And they find people who are in pain. You don't need people who are in pain. Don't talk to people who are in pain because that, they need a therapist. They don't need a coach. Right? And if you will try to do therapy as a coach, you're going to actually mess them more than actually help them. Wow. Right? So don't do therapy. You're not a therapist. You're a coach, unless you're a therapist. I yes, mean, if absolutely. you're a therapist, yeah, then do therapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're a coach, be a coach. Coach is about creating more performance. Coach is not about uh, taking people through trauma. Like you can, yes, I know we have the capability to do that as coaches, but don't try to do it. It's, not, it's a therapist's job when somebody is in deep trauma. Like it's, you have to know regression, you have to know so many things. It's not just a quick hack here, a quick hack there. It's not like that, don't try to do it. And people think it's, and it's so, and I, I, I'm not trying to beat anybody up here, but 
because people see successful coaches and they go, well, they are doing that. But think about it. The person who's even coming to them has already like subconsciously think about the mindset of the person. They're already past therapy. That's why they came to a coach, mm-hmm. right? The really successful one, when you see in a seminar room, somebody comes and they're like, oh, I have taken care of their phobia. They came to the seminar room. They were ready to get rid of their phobia. Yeah. Genius, it's not hard. Then It's hard still, but yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? It's not that you were trying to get them to identify a phobia and then remove it. No, they knew they had a phobia. They knew that was a problem. They even signed up for a seminar, paid good money to come to that seminar room, raised their hand and said, please rid me of this phobia. They had so many checks in which already said they're not, they, don't, they don't need therapy anymore. They are past therapy. They are ready for coaching because they're already saying yes to everything. They're like, I am, I identify everything. Right? Wow. They've already made half the journey. The coach has, no, has not as much pain to go through as a therapist at that point. You shared some powerful stuff. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure that you realized there were some powerful words. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. uh, self-worth, how much this have to do, has to do with uh, uh, setting the coaching fees? But, uh, <laughs> I, I, when I coach other coaches, <laughs> yeah. they have this challenge. Uh, how should I set the fee? Is it X? Is it Y? Yeah. So I I like to make it a game because it plays a big role. You're right. It's more. It's mostly your pricing is mostly a reflection of how much you value yourself. Mm-hmm. Completely agreed. Uh, and all of us go through it. Like I go through it even now. Like sometimes I feel like I'm charging too little, mm-hmm. right? Or charging too much. Mm-hmm. Both both mm-hmm. cases, right? So so it, it's okay. Uh, but that's why I try to make it a game. I go, okay, if I was to, like I, I started really low when I first started coaching because again, sales and self-worth issue, right? It's like I said, I will charge 15 grand for a whole year. That's what I char- started with. And I was coaching the person like every other week or something like that. Crazy. This is what I had. Yeah. But it's yeah. like when I started, that was like, holy shit, that's, that's really a lot of money for me, right? So I was like, holy God, this is a lot. And I, I, that's it. Like, I, that's as much. But the person that I was hiring was really kind to me. He was like, I just, you don't realize that how little you are charging. Now, I'm in the American market. So mm-hmm. 15000 is not that much in that market. That was one-on-one? It was one-on-one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But okay. this is like, I'm talking four or five years ago. I yeah. just started coaching at that mm-hmm. time. Uh, so the person goes, you don't realize how, how little you're charging for what you're offering. And so I, I kind of did a little bit of work with them. And I kind of figured out why they were saying that. And they were saying that because it's, I was comparing what I can charge mm-hmm. as the determinant of fee versus what I just said previously, that the way to set your fee is the outcome that you get. It has nothing to do with how much mm-hmm. your worth is, right? Mm-hmm. Because it is, the person is not hiring you for your worth. Mm-hmm. The person's hiring you for this outcome. So your fee is always in comparison to the outcome, mm-hmm. right? So anyway, so that's where I started. But then I was like, okay, I can't, it's really hard to say, oh, tomorrow I'll charge 50 grand. Right? It's just like, it's, yeah, yeah. it's just Huge hard jump. to so, so what I did is I said, let's make a game, right? If I will enroll anything more than 30% of conversations I have, I'll increase my fee, mm-hmm. right? So if I will enroll, if I do three conversations and I enroll more than one person, mm-hmm. I must increase my fee, right? By 10%, mm-hmm. every, 10% every time, right? So 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, until my conversion rate became three to one, which means every three conversations, I will sell mm-hmm. only one, right? which is fine by me because I'm treating it more like a, 
like a game. It's like it's yeah. okay. Two no's is not not. I don't see it as a no to me. It's like okay. It's, yeah. it's a game. It's supposed to. You're supposed to not enroll everybody. If you are, then well, increase your price. Yeah. So you're 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 winning in the game anyways, right? Yeah. yeah. So, great. so until <laughs> I hit game. that game. So in that game, I, I, until I get to that point, I kept increasing my fee. So my fee is completely like something that I would never, never imagine is my annual fee. Like I cannot imagine that I actually one charge one. that and I have clients for it. So it's not like I just charge this how much, money. How much you charge now? It's 90000 for, for one a year. year. For one, one, year. On one. Yeah. one on one. One on one. But it's not like I'm always available yeah. for you. Yeah. You know, like it's like, you know, we talk once in two weeks and, mm-hmm. you know, that type of stuff. A couple of intensives. And you work on the business also. Yes. On the, uh, right. Yeah, I work with them directly, yeah. the CEO or the founder of the company, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Ideally, the founder, unless they have a very effective CEO mm-hmm. or both, if they are not very effective. Um, and that's, that's what mm-hmm. my fee is right mm-hmm. now. It's like, if you want to work with me for a year, this is how it is. You pay the whole thing on day one, mm-hmm. and then we will work for a year. That's how it is structured. And it works perfect, right? Because I get, like I said, I get only one in three people to say yes, which is fine by yeah, me. Yeah. Fine by me. Right, because I anyways, I anyways take not taking not more than four clients a year, so it's perfect, right? Because I only have one day in my entire week that I actually coach, right? The rest of the time, I have my businesses to run, so I don't have the time to actually coach. Or and plus, I have my life to live, so I'm, I'm doing everything to live a great life. So I only coach for joy and because I like solving problems, and of course, it makes money too, so it's awesome, it's bonus, mm-hmm. right? But that's that's really what it is. So I need four clients in a year, which means every quarter. I need one client. If I lose all my clients, which never mm-hmm. happens, which I'm usually I can, tend to keep my clients for at least two years, two mm-hmm. to three mm-hmm. years. But let's say if I'm losing mm-hmm. a client every quarter, I need only one client per quarter, which means <coughs> I need to do three conversations, mm-hmm. three good conversations in the whole quarter. So you still do. run masterminds? I don't run masterminds anymore. No, no, no. no. Uh, it's just the cost benefit of it doesn't make any sense. Like, think about it. I mean, if I, if I can get 90 grand for uh, just working about as much through a coaching contract, why would I invest trying to find nine people to pay me 10 grand? Yeah. I can have one person who pays me 90 grand, which is much easier to find. Really? It's much easier to find, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you really think about it, you already probably know people and all coaches, and I'm not saying everybody is at the stage of 90 grand, right? Some people will be like, if I can find a $9,000 client. Some mm-hmm. people will be like, if I can find a $25,000 client. Whatever the number mm-hmm. is, number right now for me is that number. And that might go up, but just because of me playing a game. It's a game, right? It's a game for me, right? So that's how I see it. Um, but the thing is that whatever that number is, usually you have somebody in your network that is willing to play at that level. There's mm-hmm. always somebody. The challenge is that usually we are not willing to A, play that game and say, I'm willing to lose two out of three conversations. It's a pain in the ass if you think about it. It's like two two people saying no to me, that feels bad, right? So either we are not willing to play that game of saying, oh, I'm happy to have one Mm -hmm. out of three people or sometimes even one out of ten. Like if it's a 90 grand deal, is it it a bad idea to have one out of ten? It's a great idea still, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, it's, it's a great deal. Like, Revenue-wise, it's perfect because all profit, all, mostly profit, all, not, not all profit, but mm-hmm. mostly profit because delivery cost is not that high in coaching, right? But let's say it's not a 90 grand mm-hmm. guy. Let's say it's 25 grand. What's wrong with that? Let's still play three to one, right? Yeah, now you need four people to do mm-hmm. 100 grand, mm-hmm. right? If you're a full-time coach, that's still great. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, get four people to do 25. Well, let's say if it's 20, you need five people. Yeah. That's it. 
and you will know somebody who is willing to pay 20 grand. It's just we don't think we know people, but you do. Like we have had, we run this online accelerator like I was telling you about. It's like a Y Combinator for coaches. There was a coach in there and they had never made a proposal more than five grand. Mm. And we said, what if you just, like one of your clients that if you have already sold to five grand for, try to pitch a year long. This was like a three month, five grand, right? So they, yeah. they didn't have the ability to just ask for more, right? Well, like just propose to the same person, say we'll work for a whole year and we'll charge you 20 grand. Sign me for the whole year. She proposed, she got the 20 grand client. Well, like, it's mostly because you're not proposing it is why it's not <laughs> happening. You know somebody because somebody is already paying you to some degree. Even if somebody's not paying you, if you create value, people will pay. Yeah. Everybody's looking for a coach. Everybody yeah. at some point is looking for a coach. Sometimes they're willing to pay for it. Sometimes they're not willing to pay for it. All you have to do is sort through and find the people who are willing to yeah. pay for it. That's really what you're doing. And there's always somebody. There's yeah. always somebody. How big is your team right now? Um, I have uh, five direct employees and then there's a lot of uh, virtual mm -hmm. employees, people who do different tasks. So which positions they fill in as direct um, employees? There is a brand manager or you can say kind of my business manager, brand manager, however you want to call mm -hmm. it. There is a social media person that is on my team. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a funnel and advertising person and then we have an agency for advertising mm -hmm. and uh, an agency that delivers all our technology in a mm -hmm. way, internal mm -hmm. technology, not kind of internal technology. Then I have a program manager, which mm -hmm. does all the production and mm -hmm. understanding of different programs and making sure tribes happy mm -hmm. and so forth. Uh, I have one customer support person that manages another customer support person mm -hmm. externally. Um, then we have external copywriters, content writers, mm -hmm. video editors. We have a lot of outside team that mm -hmm. we hire or which we have on retainers. So Where do you find them? Like copywriters and all those? <laughs> There, I mean, you, it's just at this point, it's just industry. It's like, industry, for example, yeah. we are right now at this event in Thailand, Mindalee. You, if you go around asking, you'll find a couple of copywriters in there. They'll mm -hmm. find a couple of advertising. Yeah, they're coming there. to you now. Yeah, technology people. I mean, even if they don't come to you, you just go around. You know, you want a copywriter. You ask for a copywriter. You find one. You know. How does your typical day look like? Like. Well, I have a. What do you do during the day that you are focused and productive? So I have a four by four principle, mm -hmm. which means mm -hmm. I only want to work in the business for four hours a day, four days a week. So that's as much I actually four work. Four hours a day? Four, four days a week. Okay. Right? That's so, a great concept. Yeah. So I How go did four you come up with the concept? Like? Uh, well, I was, it was because I wanted to create my life in a particular way. So that's mm -hmm. how it started. Is where I said, what does my ideal day look like, mm -hmm. right? So what, what is it that I would like every day, okay. right? So what, some of the things that are very important to me is that I get to spend time with my wife, I get to spend time with my friends, I get mm -hmm. to interact with my family, I get to create, I get to write. These are things mm -hmm. that are very important to me. Like it mm -hmm. fuels me, it, it's fun for me, right? So all these things, because they're important to me, I said, okay, if I'm always working, I can't, I can't mm -hmm. actually do that. So I said, okay, so that means I have to create space for the other things too. So I started by saying, mm -hmm. let's study all the time principles, you know, like different people talk about different time principles and so forth. And I've tested these over many years, right? We all know Parkinson's law work, which mm -hmm. is work will fill up the time that you give to it, right? So mm -hmm. that's Parkinson's law. Second is a deep works uh, principle by Carl Newport. You mm -hmm. go deep and you work on something that is very, very deeply, you get to do a higher quality work and faster than, mm -hmm. right? That type of stuff. So I had been studying all of those and then I said, okay, what do I want my life to look like? So it was basically something like this. I want to work in the morning because that's when I'm most productive. I want to work out, then I want to work in the morning because that's like nine to 12 or nine to one is my most productive time. So I'm like, okay, I want to work at that time, right? Then I want to spend some time with my wife. 
So mm -hmm. then I was like, okay, let me get an office that is walking distance from my house. Mm -hmm. So I go to the office around 9-ish. I come back around 12.31-ish. Mm -hmm. I come back home. I cook a meal for our family. Mm -hmm. For just me and my wife right now, later on for okay. our kids. I cook a meal, so I make lunch at home every day. Mm -hmm. This is every day of my life, right? And then I would go, all right, an hour and a half or so to make the meal and then have the meal together. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we'll go for a walk. We would do something activity-wise that we mm -hmm. want to do together as a family. And then I might do an hour or so of reading. It's not working. It's more thinking, mm -hmm. right? So it's not that I work only four by four. Four by four is when I'm working, working. Mm -hmm. Rest of the time, I'm learning, I'm studying, I will pick up a book, I will study a program, mm -hmm. I would have conversations, I'll go to meetings where we are meeting as friends mm -hmm. or as people who are in the same business, and I'll learn from each other, I would, uh, I would go to other seminars, whatever mm -hmm. that is, right? Mm -hmm. but basically, that's the schedule for the remaining mm -hmm. part of the day. And then in the evening, again, I like to spend some time with my wife or we bring friends over mm -hmm. and then it's time with friends. So basically, that's how my days look mm -hmm. like, literally. Uh, every single day, that's the, that's the day flow. So that's Monday... Tuesday, uh, Thursday, and Friday. Mm -hmm. That's all I do. Right? Wednesday. That's a, Wednesday is my coaching day. This is completely uh -huh. me fueling myself mm -hmm. and me fueling myself, but in a very different way. What I like to do, which gets me really, really excited, is to look at another business that I don't fully understand and be able to help that business. It really is exciting for me. This is why I even coach. Mm -hmm. It's nothing to do with, uh, I mean, it, it's great money that I make out of it, but really it started by me saying, hey, I would just like to help and like to keep my brain on mm -hmm. fire, right? So that's my coaching day. And mm -hmm. that day is basically, I do nothing else but coach clients, Okay. right? But it's not back to back. I only take three clients at, mm -hmm. at any given time and four clients over the course of a year is max mm -hmm. what I do. Um, and so that's all it is. So it's actually three or four hours of call, mm -hmm. but a lot of study time during the day just to mm -hmm. you know, keep that mind running and so forth. And that's, that's how my ideal day looks like. And Saturday, Sunday, I don't do anything. When do you wake up? Huh? I when wake up around 7.30, 7, 7 7.30. It depends on... Um, so you're not a 5 a.m. or... No, no, no. no. no, no. It's too early for me. Um, I sleep when around 11-ish. Uh -huh. You go to bed 10, at 11? Yeah, 10, 11, I would go to bed. Depends okay. on the day, but 10, 11, usually mm -hmm. I'll try to go to bed. I try to go to bed. Now, mm -hmm. sometimes, again, if it's friends over, it can be midnight or 1. But or you, don't, you don't uh, you know, check some shit on the internet during the evening? No, I mean, if we do it, we Netflix and shit, we just yeah. do it together. Yeah, yeah, just me but and... Not, not me the and business my... stuff. Not, not always. I mean, sometimes we would study mm -hmm. together, and so we might end up opening a business thing, and we might watch it together, but that's, that's how... And it when is. you are in the office, you are working. What is work then? Yeah, that's you? what or I... What that's, is work? Yeah, so 4x4, four four, that's why 4x4 four four is yeah. so important, is because every day is scheduled as something, Yeah. right? So, for example, if, you, if Tuesday morning... It's a non-negotiable time for writing because all my marketing ah, so copy is written on Tuesday. That's it. You, you are writing copies also. I, I write my, all my emails I write myself. Okay, okay. I don't write sales letters. I don't write landing pages yeah, and yeah. so forth that I feed back and I tell them what mm -hmm. to write. Uh, but every email that comes from our, our, our company mm -hmm. is written by me. The reason why I write is A, because I love writing. Mm -hmm. And secondly, because this is the most important piece of email communication mm -hmm. that we send or communication that we send apart from social media, which also mm -hmm. I personally write. Mm -hmm. It might be posted by other people, yes. uh, but I write them. So, mm -hmm. But that's, that's my field. That's yeah, like the yeah, one yeah. big thing that I do for the company yeah. is write. Uh, Monday is mostly coordination. So this is more me making sure that we are on track, mm -hmm. what we are doing this week, what we are doing this month. Strategy-wise is all good. Uh, Thursdays is more content-related things. If there's any content-related mm -hmm. video stuff that I have to do, usually it would fall on Wednesdays. 
And Friday is more an open day. It, I, it'll get scheduled a week off. Mm-hmm. So it'll go, okay, what do I need to work on Friday? So how do you create content, guy? Um, what do you mean? Like you have a day that you are creating videos and yes. everything? Thursdays. Thursday. Thursdays. And the shoot, when it's a shooting day, like in the sense it's external content, like where we will do yeah, like a yeah. full production like this yeah, one, yeah. is usually Saturdays. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, so mm-hmm. there will be some Saturdays that I will do, but that's like once a month max. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is we are looking at a shoot day like this. Any other productivity tips? We can go on and on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it is a never-ending topic. My book, Live Big, is actually yes, around this. all of these ideas. It okay. talks about these ideas. What is the book about? The book basically is inspired Live by... Big. Live Big, yes. Uh, it, it it's inspires. your story also inside? There is some of my stories mm-hmm. inside, yes. Uh, it basically talks about passion, purpose, and practicality, which basically is the balance of saying mm-hmm. you need to have a purpose, you need to have a passion, but you also need to have practicality mm-hmm. to it. And so it covers those broad ideas and then it goes deeper into the ideas like small ideas, like how do you think about your team in a way, mm-hmm. right? How do you really think about, like some people debate always, is our teams like mm-hmm. family members or our teams uh, dispensable? So we tackle that question in a very mm-hmm. deep way and, and really try to explain what to do in mm-hmm. those scenarios, how to build teams in a way that are not just for the next month, mm-hmm. but for the next 30 years. Uh, so things like that. So we cover base a lo- lot of things like that, personal productivity, team productivity, business structures, okay. all of those. We, we present arguments on it, uh, more like an insight. It's almost mm-hmm. like we'll give you an insight in the book. And we hope that insight, and, and we, we know all human beings are intelligent. We operate from that. And we say, if we can give you the right insight, you will find your answer. Mm-hmm. So that's really what the book is. When is the book coming on, out? The book is coming out on the 11th of December uh, this year on Amazon on every all the bookstores in America <laughs> mm-hmm. and and UK and the English speaking countries for sure. All bookstores, Barnes and Nobles or whatever that mm-hmm. is, uh, all of them it will be available. And yeah, it's and the out book globally. of coaching is already available. It's already available on Amazon. Yeah. And if somebody wants to find out more about Evercoach, is Evercoach.com. Yeah, just go to Evercoach.com. It's, it's easy. Yeah, it's super it's easy. easy. Evercoach.com, yeah. So what, final question, what is the legacy that you want to leave on this planet? So I'm not so much for legacy. No, I, no, I don't care for legacy as much. I, I don't care if I'm remembered for something or I'm not remembered for something. What I do care is if I move the line a little bit. Mm-hmm. Move the line, it simply means that there is, the world is living at this, let's say, this level, right? All I want to do is can I move the level a little bit up? Mm-hmm. Right, further in a positive direction, not negatively, not something that hurts the environment or hurts other human beings, but more in a positive direction. All I want to do is move the line. Uh, if I can move the line, I'm grateful. I don't need to be known for it. I have no challenge with that. Uh, I just need. I just want to move the line. That's all it is. Thank you very much. It Thank was you very much. great to have you on Thank the you. show, and awesome. see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. If you want more success tips, motivational stories, personal growth advice, incredible personal stories, and other useful life tips, follow me on social media. You can find me as Smilion Mori on Facebook and Instagram and Smilion Mori Warrior Family on YouTube. If you are in the MLM industry, visit my website smilionmori.com and start your six-figure business.